0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of New Books in History, a podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jana Byers, and I'm here today with the eminent medievalist Michael D. Bailey, professor of history at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, to talk about his 2021 release, Origin of the Witch's Sabbath. The book contains nimble and enjoyable translations of five medieval treatises, as well as two witchcraft trials and a critical introduction. So I'm very excited. Hi, Mike.
0: Hi, thank you for having me here.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. How are you?
0: I am doing well. I'm doing as well as, you know, as well as we all are in this day and age.
1: <laughs> How is Ames today? Let me guess, sub-zero?
0: Um, not sub-zero, sub-freezing. Some freezing snow on the ground, you know, usual Iowa.
1: Iowa in the winter. So it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart.
0: No, no. It makes <laughs> us a hearty breed of folk.
1: Indeed. Um, something like that. It's a, uh, it definitely, uh, it, it, it's, it does something. Um, so you're not teaching yet, right? Your semester's not quite back.
0: That's right. We start actually, actually a week from today. We start next Monday
1: are you face-to-face?
0: I am face-to-face. Um, Ooh. we're doing, um, I, I don't know what the percentages are. Ba- basically, if you, if you want to teach, uh, online, you can, at least so I've been told. Um, but the, the university encourages us all to consider teaching face-to-face. Um, so I taught face-to-face last semester actually as well in the fall. And, um, um it, it went fine. You know the student. The students were all masked up, and we stayed at a distance. And um, frankly, all the statistics show that that the spread does not occur in classroom settings or on campus. It, it occurs everywhere around campus, uh, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. on campus.
1: Right. Well, I mean, we know what college students do when they're not in our classrooms, and I have it's... no knowledge of that. <laughs> well, I mean, well, sure, because you know. We, you remember college, right? Vaguely?
0: I I was a person who, I was a history nerd. I am not a a standard sample here.
1: (laughs) I was never cool. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not our classrooms that are going to kill them. All right. Well, it'll be another adventure anyway, this whole year. My goodness. All right. So let's dive into this. Um, I'd like to start by placing the current work in the long arc of your career. Now, this first bit of your academic life has been um, devastatingly, intimidatingly productive. Um, You have, I say it's a fellow historian, you've been at this for a bit over 20 years. um, And you've published, am I counting correctly, seven books of varying sorts?
0: I don't really no, I sh- that's, that's about the most egotistical thing way I can answer that. I don't. I <laughs>
1: track. Um. Yeah, I just bit back some unpleasant language. All right. Um, yeah, of varying sorts, seven. Um, so let's start. Like, let me, <laughs> let's start here. Since you seem to have forgotten uh, because you've written so many things, but uh, I just want to hit a couple highlights. We'll, and we'll start with Battling Demons, which is 2003 and if I'm not mistaken, that grew out of your dissertation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that places witchcraft in the medieval kind of the the medieval, the context of medieval reforming, the, the medieval reforming church. And then you take this little turn and go into superstition, which comes to fruition when 2013 with fearful spirits, reasoned follies, the boundaries of superstition in late medieval Europe. But then you, you pretty much remain the magic guy. Like, if I look at your, the, <laughs> the dizzying array of articles, the absolutely, I can't count that high, ultimate historian, I, how many articles you've published, the, you know, the, you're the magic guy. Um, and this, the origin of the witch's Sabbath, sits pretty fairly in that, right? So this, this makes sense. Indeed, the volume contains uh, Johannes Nieder's uh, Ant which is a work that plays a fairly prominent role in battling demons. So I see a clear like, progression, but it's a bit of departure for you. Um, it's you've got translation and the format has limited your ability somewhat to situate the works as well as you can with your monographs. So I in. Mean, I'm interested in what, why, why you decided to do this project? Like, how did you come to it? Where did these, like, wh- what was the decision-making process?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, in, in terms of situating this, within my, the overall arc of my career, um, quite literally, this goes back to the very beginning. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, my first book, Battling Demons, was really um, focused, and, and my dissertation had been focused, on Johannes Nieder, this this early 15th century, early 1400s uh, German-Dominican theologian and Really, first and foremost, church reformer before he was anything else, and then he also wrote on magic and witchcraft, and he also wrote on heresy, and he also wrote on lay spirituality, and so forth and so on. <clears throat> um, and he is one of the he's one of the main figures in here. But even before that book, my very first ever academic article was on the origins of the witches' Sabbath. Uh, it was on this little collection, this little cluster of sources, not. Quite the same as in this book, because because knowledge has changed over time. Um but basically on this cluster of sources, uh so within within the study of witchcraft, and within particularly the study of, of medieval witchcraft, um and, and the bulk of witchcraft scholarship is really um 16th and 17th century, the major witch hunts, it's really a really an early modern game, but within the story of medieval witchcraft. The idea, this idea of what a witch means, what a witch is or what witchcraft would mean, meaning this very intensely diabolical, demonic, um, and also uh, uh, conspiratorial and cultish activity that, that witches don't just, you know, practice harmful magic and make you sick and wither your crops and things like that but that they gather together in these groups and they summon up demons and they worship the demons and do horrible things uh, at these these, what eventually comes to be called Sabbaths. This appears very, very late in the medieval period. Uh, That is, it appears in the early 15th century. And the first time it really makes its appearance as as a recognizable concept is in this really tightly clustered set of sources. It's difficult to say linked. That's that's one of the great oddities They're tightly clustered together, and there are some links you can discern between them. But it's not like it's not like, oh, clearly one source led to the other, or, or they were all copying each other or anything like that. Anyway, there are the there are these cluster of sources, uh, four or five of them, depending on how you count and how you define, um, all from basically Western Switzerland. Um, So really, one should say the Western Alps, because they do get into uh, what is a bit now France, what is a bit now Italy, so forth and so on. And Switzerland didn't exist at the time. So um, around the Western Alps. Um, And they all uh, all in the all in basically a single decade, all within the 1430s. And so. How I came to that, I I knew I was already interested in witchcraft. How I came to that was, well, you're a grad student, you're looking for, you're looking for sort of a starter project before your big dissertation. I'm like, oh, here's, you know, here's a set of sources that has some, some definition and containment to it. Um, So I looked at them all and, and wrote an article about, about this cluster of sources. Uh, And that was published in 1996 and then um, damn their, damn their eyes in 1999 this cadre of Swiss scholars, wonderful, wonderful uh, historians, uh, come out with this mammoth volume <laughs> editing, editing all of these sources. I had had to actually work through them in various ways. And no, they just come out and, you know, explaining everything you ever want to know about them and giving all the background and making manuscript discoveries that I never could have possibly done. <laughs> uh but but okay, that was fine because at that point I was on to um, I was on to my dissertation on Johannes Nieder, which was which was really about his whole career and all the things he was interested in, and witchcraft was just a part of that. But in the back of my mind, I always thought, oh, you know, that it would be useful to get these sources translated. You know, they they form this little set of sources. And experts know about them, but nobody else really does. I mean, you know, the, the average person, uh, you know, if you ask them about witchcraft texts, you know, maybe they've heard of Malleus Malficarum, which is late 15th century, which is 1486, um, and is influenced by these sources. Uh, so, you know, just literally for two decades, as as you say, as I wandered through these various paths, and I sort of went from witchcraft to magic to superstition and so forth and so on uh, it was always in my mind to you know at some point it would be nice to have this um, and then I guess what really triggered it is the press Penn State University Press uh, developed this series this, this source book series this, this series of sources in translation that asks for uh, not just one they 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 want more than just a single text, so they want it to be two or more texts, but reasonably lengthy. So not not just dozens of snippets of different little. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's if they're if they're willing to go for four or five, um, that would fit. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Be perfect. perfect. Um, and then yeah, then I then I just kind of found the time, and I actually started started doing this work before COVID, but it actually. I finished up right in COVID, and COVID contributed because I was sitting home, going, "I can't do anything else. I'll finish. I'll finish knocking this out." Hmm. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> what a <fun> uh-huh. <laughs> um, All right.
0: Okay, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's you know that's sort of a, a well that's that's really more sort of my personal context with him. That's not really contextualizing the sources so much. Um, we'll,
1: we'll get there. Um, I was interested in your personal journey, Professor Bailey. So that, that is exactly what I wanted. Um, and we'll get to the sources in a minute. Well, actually, let's talk about them now. Like, okay. So you've got Hans, I'm going to pronounce his name poorly, Hans Freund. Yeah, exactly. Wow, oh, ah, brilliant. Those Dutch lessons. See, that's why I'm learning Dutch. So I can say funny German names. Uh Reports on witchcraft in Valais, Claude Tolosan's treatise in which you which you call so that the era of magicians and witches, but it is you know the first sentence, which is what, a hundred words long or something, right?
0: Yeah, it's never been given a, a yeah. understandable title.
1: So errors of the Gazari by an unknown author, ant held by Nieder, as already mentioned, and the Valderie of Lyon also by an unknown author. So that's an interesting kind of collection. So I, I get that the choice was they, they were together. Um, did you do you pick these five out of dozens, hundreds like
0: these are are basically it. Um, these define the major the major sources non non-trial based sources, the sort of mm-hmm. the sort of narrative sources
1: um, okay
0: from this one so decade they, in the 1430s. That's a pretty good cluster, though yeah um, it it is this is the mind boggling thing, and it's not like so neater to take them not in any sort of order. Nieder is a churchman and a theologian, a Dominican theologian, a member of the Dominican Order of the Church, and so he's writing you know he's sort of academically and intellectually interested in stuff like stuff of this ilk. Um, the Voderie of Lyon is anonymous author, but but certainly written by Dominican inquisitors. So they're they're coming from somewhat the same angle. Um, Hans Frundt is just a chronicler. He's he's basically a historian, um, and he has you know a report has come to him about this big burning of witches over the last several years um, in a in a region uh, the region of he's in Lucerne. And the region of Belle is is a bit to the south of him, and so he's just recording that as this this remarkable event I've heard. Um, Claude Tolosan is a lawyer, and he and is a not a church lawyer. He is a secular lawyer. He's an official of the French crown in Dauphiné, in the in the uh, uh, southeast of France, there in the Alps, uh, the French what, what would now be the French Alps. And he's interested in lawyers questions. he's interested in basically he's interested in um, arguing that he gets to prosecute these people, not those damn church inquisitors. so um, yeah they they come from all sorts of different angles and and the thing that holds them together is they just happen to all be writing at around the same place at around the same time um, you know what what is going on is that the first the first sort of recognizable which trials are really happening at this at this time and place? That is a witch a witch trial. Maybe one might also almost say a witch hunt in the sense that not just individual trials, but these bigger processes that involve people um, involve forcing people to confess to being in groups and then forcing them to um, um, implicate others um, is, is starting to rise in various jurisdictions, but all in this tightly clustered region.
1: Oh, which of course. Kind of, you know, is your point one of your arguments in battling demons that the the witch witch hunts? If I'm, I'm making air quotes, I do this a lot. I'm sorry, I'm making air quotes, which you cannot see. But if the witch hunt, you know, if there's such a thing that it's it's a medieval phen- or a late medieval phenomenon in it or or it originates there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and so we need to figure out, you know, what what was in the what was in the water <laughs> in the in this period that um caused people caused caused authorities people with power to look at a basic set of beliefs that they had always accepted i mean it's not that people suddenly thought m- magic was new that they hadn't believed in before they had always believed that magic could exist they'd always believed that people could work harm through magic um the medieval church had always taught for centuries and centuries that any type of harmful or illicit magic, what we say is harmful and illicit magic, is inevitably demonic. But nobody had this idea of, if we accuse you of doing that thing, then we're also going to accuse you of, of basically being a member of a heretical cult, of gathering together big numbers, of worshipping demons, so forth and so on.
1: And the idea that it's demonic and specifically, right? That this isn't just some kind of random practice.
0: Right. Very much, very much guided by, by the devil or demons. Uh, The sources go back and forth in that terminology. Um, uh, Really quite explicitly demons, demons literally teaching the language of teaching and Mm -hmm. instructing, which is what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it is, is evident throughout all of these sources
1: oh listen you know if you're going to learn a thing get a good tutor I, you know that's it's very important
0: you know go to the source and, <laughs> and get practical experience you know th- think of it as a summer internship really yeah, um, yeah absolutely learn, you don't... Learn how to wither crops and then then go out and wither some crops
1: <laughs> absolutely and you don't you don't want to learn that from your next door neighbor not when you've got that demon uh, uh, uh,
0: all
1: right so um, i'm g- <laughs> i'm guessing most of our audience has never read a medieval witch- cre- witchcraft treatise so just can you like. Tell us what can you describe them? What are they? What are they like? For
0: for lack of a better question. <laughs> well, um, they can be they can be a bit varied. Um, they certainly in this period, you know, so by the time you get into the the well, by the time you reach say the Malleus Maleficarum, as I said in the late fourteen hundreds, and then when you get into the fifteen and sixteen hundreds, you get I, oh, I won't I won't at all say a standard form, but but you get sort of you know. A witchcraft treatise. It's it's a book in which somebody sits down and says, "Okay, this is you know this is a thing now. This is a topic. People have written about it before. I'm going to write about it now." Uh, these early these early texts, these texts from the, the 1430s, they're just making it up as they go along. Um, so you know Hans Frunz is truly just a report. He says, "This is this is a report on some things I've heard, and it's about oh two or three pages long." Um, Claude Tolesans is uh, really a a legal treatise. He, he's one of the ones where I've actually in this book, I only translate about the first third of his text, which is which is really sort of the narrative, the narrative about what witches do and how horrible they are. And it's it's the it's the shiny, interesting part. Uh, the other two-thirds is all legal justification. It is literally citing case law, and it is both unimaginably boring. And unimaginably difficult to translate. I know because I translated the whole damn thing before I decided I was only going to publish the first third of it. <laughs> um, which was which a was bad, bad call on my part. The rest of it is very, very very interesting, actually, if you're interested in legal history. But, um, um, but so, um, so what you get are the, the, the witchy parts of it. And, and the reason I've, I've focused this all around the witch's Sabbath, Uh, It is to give is to give these somewhat diverse sources a little bit of structure. So what holds them together is that they're all describing in various ways, groups of witches meeting in in some type of significant numbers in the presence of one or more demons. Um, And so most of what they focus on is actually that Um, I I was actually called on the carpet when I turned in the the text of, of my own introduction. And uh, one of the readers came back and said, you, you tell us all about the Sabbath, but you don't actually tell us what witchcraft is. Maybe you should go back and do that. Um, so, you know, if you think of actual witchcraft as the magical actions, the, the spells and the charms and the, and the poisons and the evil eye, the baleful looks and things like that, that actually, you know, make, make your child get a fever or make your cow stop giving milk or whatever. These treatises don't talk about that terribly much at all. They just kind of take that as an assumed, as a given. That's all in the background. Uh, what they usually kind of plunge right into is these, is these incredibly uh, lurid stories of these of these conventicles, of these gatherings. And it's, it's you know, the witches come together, they summon up a demon. Um, sometimes the demon is described, and when it is, that can be very exciting. Um, the Vauderie of Lyon has the best, you know, it's, it's like half a page just describing what the demon looks like in, in great, great detail, literally head to toe, what the demon looks like. Um, and then and then you know, sort of gleefully, almost pornographically recounting all the awful things witches do. Um, they ha- they have sex with each other. They have sex with demons. They kill children. They eat the murdered babies. They eat the corpses. Um and then, then what happens is they're given. Then, having done all that, uh, they're basically just given instructions to now go off and now go off and destroy the crops in that field. Now go off and cause fever and sickness in that town in that village, um, and they go and do it. Uh, but that—that's actually kind of all off screen.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, Um. So the audience like lawyers other church people uh, eventually like witchcraft witch hunters like with people who go prosecute witches um this is an audience is anyone else going to be reading these
0: i wouldn't think so i think i think all of these all of these texts i'm working with are in one way or another intended for um basically audiences similar to whoever it was writing them um and, yeah, so and for, the mo- for the most part, what they're trying to do is is make a justification for why they why they should get to prosecute these people and why it's so important that they be allowed sort of free reign. Um, Claude Tolisan, who I've I've already mentioned a couple times, is is the most the most directly lawyerly, the most really arguing for or, you know, literally saying this is in my jurisdiction and not in that other legal jurisdiction to do. But really, what all of them. I would, I would say with the exception of Hans Freund, who is just kind of a historian reporting on this event, uh, what all of the rest of them are really trying to do is to make an argument to other authorities like them, either in the church or in and or in secular governments, both, uh, that there are these people out there. Um, basically, the argument comes down to, you have always known, we have always known that there are probably people out there who perform harmful magic, who perform witchcraft in that most basic sense. What you need to know from me is that they are much more horrible than you ever imagined. They are, they are more horrible. They are more organized. Um, they are out to destroy society. Wow, a lot of this is suddenly ringing very presentative. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for the first time, because that's how clever I am about the material <laughs> I work on. Um, it, it, it So what they're trying to do is say, you know, this is the enemy. The enemy is much worse than you ever imagined. And so you need to, either you need to do or you need to let me do uh, what I want to do, which is this much more ramped up, what becomes the witch hunts, this much more ramped up form of persecution and, and action against them. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes rather charmingly it doesn't work, um, we happen to know but I think that's what they're all trying to do.
1: I have this vision in my head of some Dominicans um, hanging around, like reading these things together. And it's very exciting.
0: The, the Dominicans, as I said, that there were sort of these traces of connections between them. And probably the Dominican order is is the 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 clearest one, not to say that it's incredibly clear, not to say that we have, you know, evidence of I read that that guy's treatise and now I want to write my own but um three three of these five texts that I translate here were all written by dominicans uh Johannes Ant anthill the anonymous errors of the Gazari, and the and the equally anonymous votary of leon but we think in both those anonymous cases it was uh, no I'm I'm sorry uh votary of leon was definitely dominit was dominican inquisitors but the um, um the errors of the Guzzari was best guess is probably a Franciscan inquisitor. So I'm slightly slipped up there. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that is probably one level of transmission that with, within um, either just the Dominican order or at least the mendicant orders, you know, or within inquisitorial networks within the church. There you can see there's a network. Uh, people might have read each other's works, might have been inspired um, a little bit by them. And um uh, yeah, the, the, the votary of Lyon, uh, the, the, which is anonymous but almost certainly written by Dominicans in the Dominican convent of Lyon, uh, we know fairly clearly there what their purpose was. They wanted to start an inquisition they, because that would make them inquisitors. Uh, and the local bishop was resisting and the local townspeople were resisting. So that's a case where it seems pretty reasonably clear. That they probably had access to, if not the absolute texts, at least to these ideas that are circulating through sort of you know their atmosphere. And they said to themselves, "Well, th- this is great. Let's let's say there are witches here, and then we'll get you know we'll be empowered to do what we want." And it completely failed. Uh, the lo- yeah, the, yeah. The local bishop said, "No, nope, don't believe you. Not going to let you do it." Um, sad. Sorry. I mean, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want, if you could, if you could keep from having an, a bunch of Dominicans running around your territory, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah.
0: If, yeah. If, if you're not one of those Dominicans, you yeah, would. not. It's like, like,
1: obviously if you're a Dominican, you're going to be like, we must have an inquisition and you know, we're good at it. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that, that follows. Right. And uh, this, um, it kind of leads to uh, a question I was going to ask a bit later, but let's go to it now, which is like, what can we learn by reading them and I think you know, like what what am I what am I learning from these this discussion and from reading these texts as well is as, aside from them just being cool if you're you know us but like if you're if you're cool like us but yeah, um, yeah.
0: I think um, I think you can learn how ideas get started um, an idea that is... It is, you know, this is one of those examples in history where you can say the idea is so clearly outlandish, so clearly nuts, frankly, uh, that, it, it, that, there, that there couldn't be, you know, it, it can't be that, you know, oh, maybe there was some reality to it and they switched this and that around and so forth and so on. Uh, the reality was almost certainly, yeah, there, there are people around in villages and in towns in, in, in the late Middle Ages. Um, who are who are working magic of various kinds. And there are probably people who are worried that their neighbors are sort of out to get them through magical means. But these stories are so nuts. Um, and and I don't mean that in, in an anachronistic, looking back from a modern perspective, we think they're nuts way. I mean, these people writing down these texts say things like, you're going to think I'm crazy for telling you this, but you really, really have to believe me. Um, you know you'll be you'll be shocked and appalled by what I'm about to tell you that's the whole point of it um but you have to you have to believe me and so um this is actually something i've thought about i have i haven't been completely divorced from from the present day uh i think one of the things this can show is is how how outlandish conspiracy theories can take how sort of the, the, you know, this is the notion that we, we certainly know of from the modern period, how the big lie can be more effective than the small one. You know, you, you win people over precisely by being so over the top. You don't go in gradual steps. Um, and one of the things it, it shows me is the um the, the power of elites and the importance of of what elites whether elites take up an idea or not. Because as I said, all of, all of the authors I'm working with, they're, they're not sort of writing popular propaganda. They're really writing for other elites. And, and they say at points quite clearly, um, you, know, you don't believe this yet. You know, th- this isn't what the normal, educated, intelligent, sophisticated person of the late Middle Ages, uh, churchman or laity, would would believe, but you have to believe this new thing, and eventually, for for a variety of reasons, and, and that becomes sort of stuff I've explored in all the rest of my career. Um, you know, be, because there are these tendencies toward church reform that this can lead into, because there are because there are growing legal structures that it can it can lead into and be used to support. You see, over the course of time, how from, from this kernel. Other elites latch onto this idea for, for their own purposes. And 50 or 100 years later, I mean, more or less, there's this idea across Western Europe, always debated, always contested. There are always people who, say, who, who said uh, you know, valiantly, it's, it's ridiculous, I've never believed it all along. But there's this idea all across Western Europe of this is what witches are. There are these cults of witches they are all servants of the devil. They're meeting together at these Sabbaths. We've got to, we've got to hunt them out, and it, um, it all starts here.
1: I, I think we like. Let's make, let's put the finest of points on this. Like, what you go to a witch for? There are people practicing witchcraft. We know that you don't have to believe in witchcraft. You that we know that people are practicing witchcraft, but what they're doing is really pretty benign. Um you know or they are they're getting blamed for things like the crops dying or like a kid being sick or you know it's and it's very localized um you go to them for love spells you can't you know, go to them if you can't get pregnant like there are all these reasons right and then and then in, and, and we've got this and then 50 a 100 years later there is a panic a verifiable panic and everyone understands that there's a demonic pras- practice and that it must be stamped out and, and completely removed from society because it's endangering all of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's a charming, uh, charming little passage in one of one of my texts. Uh, Claude Tolesson, the the secular judge, the the official of the French royal government, um, who's he's operating out of this little town of, uh, called Briançon, which is um, just outside of Grenoble. In in the in what is now the French Alps, well, it was then too. It was it, it had just become part of the French kingdom, um, and he by the time he comes to write his treatise, he tells us at least that he's been uh, uh, prosecuting witches for oh, oh several years. He's, he's prosecuted a couple hundred at that point, and he tells us he says before I started, you know, he says we before we my crew. Uh, started this this you know this this important legal work the people here they they went to these they they went to these witches uh foot for healing and to talk to the dead basically séances talk to their dead relatives and these foolish people had no idea that they were actually you know implicating themselves in this in this demonic network they were they were just trying to do this these relatively banal generally helpful Sort of social functions, Um, and yeah, that's that's absolutely what what the witches um, almost certainly were. The the ones who weren't just completely accused, absolutely randomly. Um, They were, you know, they were your local uh, the term the term is cunning person, Uh, but your local magic user, your your local healer, the the yeah, the woman who read your palm and told you who you were going to marry, the person you went to, as you said, for you know. I, I don't want to marry that person. I want to marry the other person. Give me a love spell uh, so that they can fall in love with me. Um, and, and we know that sort of at a, at a general level, then, as, as, the, as the opposite of that, there's always a suspicion that these people could be doing more harmful things. You know, it's just sort of the natural opposite. If that person can heal, doesn't it make sense that they could also work harm? And maybe maybe they are working harm against me in some in some circumstances but yeah it's this very you know very local sort of interactions between neighbors village interactions sort of thing and then there comes this cosmological you know universal scheme no it's all this it's all this literally satanic plot against christian society um and 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 that that is an idea uh, that That is an idea that takes hold for the next at least couple hundred years. I will say one of the things we see all throughout the, the 16th and the 17th century, all throughout the major witch hunts across Europe, is there remain plenty of people who say I I either I either don't believe that that level of threat exists or I just don't care about it. What, what I care about is there's this person down the street from me who can either help me out or maybe hurt me a little bit through this, through this magic that we all kind of believe in. Um, So at least, you know, at least it doesn't grip every single mind in the world, but as we've seen, it doesn't have to grip every mind. It just has to grip a few influential ones.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. This suddenly becomes this very oppressing situation. I hadn't expected to kind of get, to uh, have my daily dose of existential dread. Um, but thanks.
0: Um, um. It all ends. It all turns out <laughs> okay in the end. Um, yeah. That's, that. just a... well, that's great. It hey, yeah, takes 200 around. years. That's the thing that concerns <laughs> me, that once once, a, once an idea gets rooted, once it succeeds in getting rooted, it can take a long time
1: mm-hmm.
0: to completely root it out again. But, um, But it can happen.
1: Sure. All right. Um, I'd like to step back to more cheery topics, which is your uh, your fabulous talent as a scholar. Uh, what language are these in?
0: Uh, they are they are all in Latin, uh, save for Hans Frunz, which is in which is in German. You know, sort of the late medieval German gobbledygook. Um, okay. that, that was that was by far the hardest for me.
1: Yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, they're, they're terrible. The I mean, because well, medieval Latin is no joy, but it's still at least something that everyone has in common, you know, yeah, which also speaks to the idea of who these are for that tells us a lot about who's supposed to be reading these. And uh, yeah
0: yeah, again, these are all these are all written, um you know for for educated people who would who would be able to read Latin
1: right on. um, so have you put these guys to bed? Have you put these sources to bed? Are you done with them or? Is this going to be some new? Is this part of uh, another project?
0: I I think I, well, <laughs> I I think they're largely to bed for the moment. Um, I do have uh, the the other two thirds, the legalistic side of that one treatise, Claude Sans treatise that I mentioned. Um, that that I've I've translated, and it it's interesting and important. It, it actually is a, it is a very important document. In terms of the legal history of witchcraft. Um, so at, at some point, I, you know, I will probably look to, to put that out in some form or another. Um, but yeah, I I, th- I think for the time being, I put these, I put these to bed. I seem to always come back to Johannes Nieder and um, and his source, The The Antill, is enormous. That was another one I had to excerpt just for size. It's just an enormous excerpt. Um, and I've kind of always had in the back of my mind, it'd be nice to have a translation out there that people could use of that, but that would be its own freestanding book. So, so for the moment, yeah, I've, I've, I've these. I've got different things on my agenda.
1: Which are, what are, what are you working on right now?
0: Well, um, mm-hmm. so, uh, what I am working on right now is actually, um, Magic and Witchcraft. You'll be shocked to hear. Uh, I I tried I tried I tried valiantly uh, to to get away a little bit, um, and uh, I I had this idea after after the big superstition book fearful spirits, uh, I had this idea that I would sort of really ambitious idea that I I will draw together everything that I do in the most general sense possible, and I decided the framework for that was incorrect forms of religion, so superstition but also heresy. But also church reform, because in church reform movements, the reformers get very vociferous about saying to their enemies, what you are doing is very wrong religion. Um, And I I puttered around with that for a while. It was gigantic and huge and and it was (laughs) clearly too big. Um, So I ran screaming away from that. And uh, what I have now, though, is an idea I'm very excited about, which is to write about, to write a history of magic in the Middle Ages. Across the whole of the Middle Ages, uh, so we're talking we're talking from the from the five hundreds to the 1500s. Okay, all a, right. With a focus on doubt and skepticism, on not believing. Uh, and so the big framework here is when one thinks about the medieval period, or really, frankly, the pre-modern. The, the real framework here is pre-modern versus modern. And when one thinks about the pre-modern, one of the things that defines it is that's when they believed in magic, and the modern is when we don't believe in magic anymore. When we have become disenchanted, and there's been a bunch of great work in the past, um, um, really two decades. Uh, well, while, while I've been tinkering away on the Middle Ages, there's been a bunch of great work by modern historians and anthropologists about how that, needless to say, is all bunk. Um, it's not all monk. obviously we believe. Modern society believes in magic a lot less than earlier societies. Um, But it's not like magic has vanished. It's not like there are not magical elements uh, in all sorts of ways through all sorts of different modern societies. So you take that notion that, in fact, the modern isn't really completely 100% disenchanted and disbelieving and skeptical. And I want to look back at the Middle Ages and point out Frankly, something that every expert will know in their own little niche, that all throughout the Middle Ages there were people who didn't believe in various types of magic and various aspects of magic. For example, in the story I've just been, we've just been talking about here, part of the story of witchcraft is a story of people not believing in this thing. And a certain cadre of authorities and a certain cadre of writers coming along and and working very hard really to say, no, you have to believe this. It's 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 a it's you know, you may you may believe in other types of magic and in other ways that magic operates in the world, but you haven't believed in this way. And now you need to. Now you need to take it seriously. Um and and that, you know, that just becomes a thread. It's it's there, there is no point in the history of magic, there is no aspect of magic about which there was not some contestation. Some people say, this is absolutely what it is. It's terribly real. Uh, we, have, we have to take it terribly seriously. And other people say, not at all, not in the least, just at different levels. Uh, so the idea is to, to trace that all out um, in, in sort, sort of, in a way, present a, a another history of medieval magic, but from this angle uh, that I think will, most importantly, set the medieval period in a little bit of different perspective toward the modern period. Not so much that they were, you know, they were strange and distant and other. They were, in a lot of ways, everybody's. You're strange and distant and other to me. Uh, but they, you know, they weren't as strange and as distant as other, as all that. They were, they were both like us, as well as being very much not like us, which is banal because that's true of any period in history. Um, but you know, the, the emphasis within magic has been so much that the medieval is the period of belief of sort of a sort of blind belief you know overflowing credulity in everything simplistic credulity uh in everything magical and i i want to i want to undermine that um
1: yeah yeah i mean like obviously they're both like and dislike and unlike us is is a standard thing across time but there's very few things like people believing in magic that we're, we have so much stake in separating our modern selves from.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it, it has been one of the defining hallmark features of modernity, you know, both to its own past, you know, we are so much better than the medieval. It's it's one of the reasons why the, why the term medieval is thrown around as a, as a derogatory term. You know, if you call someone medieval, you're not usually, not complimenting them, <laughs> barely, um, a compliment. them around the globe. This is how, this is how, you know, advanced Western scientific cultures degrade, you know, local, more traditional cultures uh, because, Oh, they still believe in magic. So we have to, we have to modernize them. We have to correct their, their strange and silly superstitions and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, no. Yeah, of course.
0: And then there's it's- this to, to, to get all academic again, there's this interesting little twist as well within the academic study of medieval magic. Although everybody knows that, of course, you know there, there's this example of skepticism, there's that example of skepticism, whatever. Uh, another thing I want to correct is I think there has been an overemphasis among academic studies on medieval credulity. Precisely because we, as modern progressive academics, don't want to be uh, perceived as you know sort of imposing our, imposing this framework of we we know it was all false, but we don't want to denigrate them for any of their beliefs, so we we just kind of won't question their beliefs Mm -hmm. at all, even when they, in various ways through various sources, say I I don't believe in this part of it at least either, Uh, so I think that'll be a very interesting contribution to. You know the grand, the grand conversation.
1: Excellent. Oh God, that's really cool. I'm excited. I'm cu- very curious about this doubt project. I will say I'm a little disappointed. Um, You're doing it wrong. Would have been a great title. And I'm <laughs> so you sorry. The
0: problem, the problem is when you start a project with a great title, <laughs> and then you got to work out the project. It's sure. better to go the other way around. I have. Found. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, as a rule, probably not, you know, everything. least trying to write a book about, you know, all the things is maybe not.
0: <laughs> that would be to do. All the things.
1: <laughs> all the <books>. Yeah. That's, <laughs> isn't, that's not what we call the Internet. All the things. Or oh, you're doing oh, it wrong.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it would be.
1: Yeah. Oh god. All right. I have taken up so much of your time, but it has been a delight to speak to you, um, my old friend and uh and incredibly brilliant historian Michael Bailey.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been it's been delightful to talk to you as well.
1: Wonderful. All right. And uh, I'll be in touch when you write that doubt book. We'll talk about that one. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.